Well, good evening, everyone. I got a few texts from Jerry today and some pictures of the trip. Everything's going quite well, and um, you know they're working hard. I can tell you that. And uh, I know that uh, they were heading to the women's conference um, tonight, I believe it was, and then they were going to. Uh, I guess Irma and Michelle will be heading home on Friday after the conference. But everything's. Everything's going great. The boxing started, and man, they're just, pardon me, they're having a blast. So let's stand together if you don't mind. I know it's it's almost like uh, Simon says, but could you just stand up one more time, pray over the word, and we'll pray over our team as well. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be together, to study your word, Lord. And um, I just pray, Father, that you would give us that heart to receive everything that you desire that we would receive. Lord, would you please, Father, help us just to set aside any craziness of the day, Lord, that we would be able just to focus on your word. That when we leave this place tonight, Father, you know there'd be another another thought, Father, another encouragement from your Holy Spirit in our hearts. Father, I just pray that you would just continue to bless the team, Lord, there in Mexico, that you would continue to use them, Father, for the furtherance of your kingdom there, Lord. I pray that you'll keep them safe, Lord, that uh, you would just uh, just open the doors, Lord, that, you know, maybe the enemy is trying to shut, Lord, that again, Father, you would be glorified. You said, Lord, to go into all the world, and, and we are, Lord, as a church. We just pray, Father, again, that you would be glorified with the team and and that you'd, you, you know, let them finish well. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen. 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 Thank you. You know, I think the book of Hebrews is uh, an important book for um, for us to know. And I'm glad we're going through it. And again, I know it just sounds like a broken record, but you don't know how many times over the course of my ministry where someone has come up and said, uh, you know, Harry, I feel like I lost my salvation. You know, and, and they don't say it, you know, in a haphazard or a, just a, a carefree attitude. It, it, it's fearful. It's a fearful um, uh, expression you know it's they're concerned about it it's almost paralyzing to some people thinking they reach this point where you know maybe they they have lived or they couldn't get victory over a certain thing and and so they read like this text tonight out of Hebrews chapter uh, 10 especially 26 through 29 and um, and I think it's important that we know it um, maybe to help people who have fallen into that that lie. Um, I think the book of Hebrews is really addressing two groups of people and only two groups. I think it's saved and unsaved. Uh, I think that the people that are grabbing, gravitating back into um, Judaism, going back into the legalistic system of sacrificing animals, and that's a... Um, I, I don't know, I, they weren't saved to begin with. They weren't regenerated. They weren't born again. Now, you, you might say, well, Harry, it says there, I think it's in chapter 2, that uh, once they were enlightened. Well, I know a lot of people that have been enlightened by the scriptures. That does not mean that they are born again from the Spirit of God. Um, well, they tasted those things which were good. Well, I know a lot of people who gravitate to Christianity because they're trying to escape something of the world, you know, and they want something new and full of life. But it does not mean that they're they're born again, you know. And so we'll see it. We'll see it in our reading tonight as well. That even the author of this book will separate the two. He will say, "But this isn't you, brother." You know, almost like he's, he's reaching out to a remnant of people that are still believing in the gospel. The totality of, of what the cross represents, death, burial, resurrection, they are really trusting in it, you know. Um, and so I want you to always keep in mind that the, the whole 
reason for this author to write this book was to um, admonish those who were once enlightened, tasted those heavenly things, um, was a part of the church. Listen, just because they were a part of that church or that movement does not mean the, again, that they were born again. You know, I, I can count on one hand how many people are still walking with the Lord today in that, that glorious Jesus people movement back in the late 60s or early 70s. Thousands of kids. You should, Time Magazine, I still have a copy of that where you see thousands of people under 20 years old worshiping God. Where are they today? You know, so... Um, just because they were part of the early church doesn't mean that they were truly born again, spirit filled. And, and again, that's the problem with evangelism today. You sing the right song, you make the right altar call, people come forward, you know, and we say, well, 2,000 people received the Lord. Well, how do we know that? Again, Sunday, I believe I was touching on about judgment. Judge not lest you be judged, but yet all through the New Testament it talks about we are to judge. So how do you how do you justify the two schools of thought there? Well, we're not allowed to judge another man's servant. In other words, I cannot look at someone and say they're going to heaven, they're going to hell, because when it comes to heaven and hell, that's eternal, and I am far from ever ever understanding that this side of heaven, what eternity is. So I can't say when someone's saved, God saved is always saved. I can't do that, but I can judge doctrine i can judge a false teacher i can judge a church paul um john did that when he wrote the seven letters to to asia minor you know to the seven churches in the book of revelation that was a judgment call you left your first love he made a judgment call you know you say you were alive but you're dead that's a judgment call and so um I just want to make sure you understand that when we go through a continue, we're almost done Hebrews, but then when you're done this book, you will be able to look at someone and say, you know, you, you don't have to be afraid of losing your salvation. If you're born again, you can't do that. You know, can you, uh, take a wrong path at times? Well, sure. We know a lot of people have done that. And, um, but being very, being confident of this very thing that if God began a good work, who completes it? Not even the individual, not us, but God completes that work, you know, and uh, thank God for his promises. So again, we left off last week, chapter 10, uh, and I want to read through it again just so we set the the context here let us draw near in verse 22 let's draw near with true hearts full of assurance of faith that we're true true heart it's just a, a true heart it's it's truthful you know and again the bible talks about having the, the two you can have faith that's it's feigned or unfeigned faith you can have you can have true hearts that are either true hearts or they're feign, uh, unfeigned no, they're, they're hypocritical and uh, the Bible wants us to have a true heart towards him with full assurance, knowing why. Because our hearts have been sprinkled by the blood of Christ. Now, of course, that's not literal, because when we receive Jesus Christ into our hearts, we're not asking him to come into that muscle that pumps blood through our bodies. You know what I mean? We ask him to come into that tabernacle, to come into the spiritual realm of our own beings, you know, not our soul. Our soul is our, my, our, our psyche. Our spirit is where God dwells. And that's what we need to be very concerned about it. Now, in the Old Testament, it talks about um, the bowels of compassion or the bowels. And that's how the Hebrews used to experience God. Just like we would say the heart, they would say our bowels. It's the innermost part of a being. That's what needs to be regenerated. And so, you know, marvel not what I say unto you, Nicodemus. You must be born again. He was telling a religious leader was keeping the law and everything. You still have to be uh, regenerated. You have to become born again. And the Holy Spirit has to re reside in your heart, you know. And so don't make the mistake, people, uh, just assuming that somebody is saved when they really haven't asked Christ to regenerate them to, into a new life. Uh, give you a little story with my oldest daughter. There was a time where she was she was really doubting her salvation. And, and I'll be honest with you, as a dad, that that concerned me greatly to have your daughter sit down. And, and I remember the conversation like it was yesterday. She goes, look, dad, I understand why you and Uncle Den understand why you're saved. 
you know, because I know your, I know your, your story. I, I know where you would be today if it wasn't for Jesus. But look at me. Look at, look at Ruth Ann and Katie and and I. we've been raised in the church. We've been PKs all of our lives. We've been on missions trips. But that, how do we know? How do we know that we're going to heaven? What an honest question to ask a dad, you know. And I, at first, I was very afraid of that, but. And, but then I realized, my God, God, you're working on her heart right now. So the last thing I want to do is sugarcoat this thing and say, oh, honey, you're safe. I remember I said, but Jenny, if you're doubting, you need to go upstairs and to pray to your, your heavenly father and make sure you are born again. And so, you know, a lot of the kids, the PKs especially, they need to be regenerated. And what God does for those kids is he lets them go off. He really does. Yeah, I think of um, a buddy of mine, Don McClure, was telling me a story with one of his sons, Marcus. I mean, that, they, they had fistfights together. I mean, they, they, this kid was so bad selling dope right out of the back, but pastor's house, selling dope out the back window. People were sneaking behind. And he didn't know what to do, but he knew how to pray. And today, Marcus is, is, is in ministry today, and Sir Franklin Graham was another one. That you must be born again. So don't ever give your children, if you are raising kids, that false sense of security that because you were raised on my coattail, you'll go into heaven. You must be born again. Make sense, church? And that's something we have to teach Sunday school. Every one of those kids need to hear the gospel. Not just have little flannel graphs up there of a big fish swallowing a, a man. They've got to be born again. Think about it. Think back. When's the first time you heard the gospel? The first time I heard the gospel, I was five years old. Second time, I, I was in sixth grade. Third time, I had, it was the Jesus freaks. When was I saved? Well, I made my confession, 73, September. But I don't know. In, in the eternal, I guess I was always saved. And it's written in the, in the Lamb's book of life. And the only one that can erase that is me. Because God won't erase it. Amen? All right. So he goes, let us draw near with that full assurance, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with the pure water. And that's something that these Jews who he was addressing, they would understand this because they, they understood their, their water, this ceremonial washing. They understood that. They really thought that that was what's cleansing them. These, these You go over to Israel and go into some of these old ancient um, bathhouses and stuff like that. You find these ritual bathing. Uh, bath, bathing rooms where they would wash themselves off and they would think I'm washing away my guilt my, this is not, you can't wash away a guilty conscience by some ritual thing it's got to be in a personal relationship with, you, know what, you know what removes guilt this is what I've learned over the years you know what truly removes guilt is, is, is having the Holy Spirit tell you you're forgiven and that's the only way having God tell you no you're my son you're my daughter Whenever I, when I was a young Christian, whenever I started doubting God's love, he always broke through, always, without, without doubt. He can't, would always come through, and somehow in that still voice of his, he would tell me how much he loves me and who I am to him. And this is before I ever went to a church. It's got to be something that with that pure water, the Holy Spirit, that, he's the only one who can do that. He says, so let's hold, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. And that's exactly what they were doing. My, 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 this, you know, my thought thing, um, process here is that here are these guys, they tasted, they heard these heavenly things. They started to understand baptism and the laying on of hands and all that. They weren't quite saved. They weren't saved. And then someone came along and, you know, they began to smell the, the, the tabernacle. They began to see the sacrifices. They began to hear the different noises and the songs. They started to see that, you know, the Phariseeism in its height, you know, and they said, you know what? That's hard to grasp, but this is something I know. 
And you know, I've heard that over the years as well. You know what, Harry, you're telling me to be born again. You know, that's not the way I was raised. That's not the, the, what I was taught growing up as kids. But you know, I, I know you're saying that that's in the Bible. But you know what I see? I see the stained glass. And you know what I see? I see, the, I see our priest. And you know what I see? I, I see the different apostles' creeds. And I hear the creeds. But you're telling me it's just by faith and faith by alone. And, and you, I, can't, I can't receive that. He's saying, look, you got to hold fast to that profession we once made. You hold fast that you ask Christ into your heart. He's forgiven you. And you know that the spirit of God is coming in. It came inside of you. And you know without a doubt that he's there. Your life has changed. Now, I'm not saying you're perfect. I was not perfect when I first got, when I first got saved. Man, I was still smoking and, and drinking a six pack of peels in Woodbury. And I would come home and my brother saying, hey, what have you been doing, bro? I said, I'm handing out tracts, man. People are getting saved. And he just looked at me with just the graceful look. He goes, brother, I want you to do something. I said, what's that, man? He goes, I just want you to go upstairs in our prayer closet. We had a little prayer closet. And I want you to just go up and ask Jesus if it's okay for you to be drinking and smoking and working for him. No problem, brother. I went up there. I was in that closet for an hour. By the time I got done, I was weeping. I go, I didn't know, Dan. She goes, no, nah, but the Holy Spirit has a way of revealing things to us. Because the Spirit's inside us, folks. He can do that. Make sense? Let's hold fast to that, our faith, without wavering. For he is faithful that is promised. He is so faithful. He leads us. He guides us. He speaks to us. You know, you don't need a, th- you don't need a third person in that wheel, man. You know what I'm saying? It's not you, Jesus, and someone else. It's not you, Jesus, and a minister. It's not you, Jesus, and a certain book. And I know, I, I know we get our books and we get into them and we start promoting books. But the bottom line is that when you're alone and you need to hear his voice, you're not going to any book written by man. You're going right to Jesus, right to the Holy Spirit. Amen? He says, let us consider, with all that in mind now, let us consider one another to do what? To judge? No. No, to provoke unto love. The word to provoke literally means to stir it up. To stir it unto love and to good works. Not works where we think we're saved by. But people, let me tell you something. Because we have made profession of faith and because God is living in our lives and our lives have totally changed. Now we are. The reason those kids are in Mexico right now is because God has stirred them up unto good works. That's why they're there and the adults as well. You never go on a mission trip because you just think it's a good vacation. Not our mission trips anyway. It's far from being a vacation. But we do. We provoke the young people. We provoke people. You know, don't be like the natural man. You look into a mirror, you forget what you see. No, even James says, look, if you want to see, you show me your faith and I need to see your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. They go hand in hand. Not to work, not the works of salvation. That's done because of the cross. But the, Christ, the person who says he's a Christian and has no works, you can make a judgment call on that. Why? Because the Bible tells us exactly that with a believer, there should be works that follow it, good fruit to follow it. No fruit, you've got to make a judgment call. He says, now look, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as some manner of some, but exhorting one another so, so much the more and the reason as you see the day approaching, speaking of the day of judgment, you don't forsake the assembly. Did you ever hear somebody saying, I'll just, and that's my pet peeve with this live stream and Facebook and all. Because I even hear our people. No, I just stayed in bed and watched in bed, huh? Well, you know, I, I'm glad we have it. And I'm glad it's there for you to stay in bed. You know, were you sick? No, I was just kind of tired. You know, well, you know, brother, the Bible says not to do that. You know, where? You know, it says not to forsake the assembling. Why? Well, this is where we feed off of each other. This is where we provoke each other into good works. This is where we can provoke one another to love one another, not to be judgmental, not to gossip about, not to tear people down. This is where we learn to do this. This is where you're a Berean. You can't be a Berean in your bedroom. 
Now I get it. I'm glad I had it because Deb Bo's been watching us every Sunday and every Wednesday. In fact, she was here last Sunday. Did you get to see her? Yeah, then by the way, she she had her MRI today. Pray for her. They're, they lit her up to see if there was any other cancer in her body. And of course, no results yet, but keep her in prayer. Amen, guys? Just a good friend of ours here at the church. Um, but no, I... You know, the Bible talks that we're living stones and we're uh, built upon one another, making the house of God. And uh, I, I really do believe the Bible tells us not to forsake the assembly, that we should be, you know, out, out at Bible school, uh, Bible studies and out at home fellowships and, you know, do, do, you know, coming out to Sunday, getting your kids in Sunday school and such. And, and Paul, well, the author here, the author here says, as we see the day approaching. Now, uh, those that say that the Bible doesn't teach the imminent return, like in other words, the, it wasn't taught in the epistles, they're, they're wrong. They are so wrong. They had an expectation of the second return um, of the Lord like no, one, no one's business. I mean, they, that, every time Paul turned around, he's going, now remember, he's coming. Now remember, he's coming. And in light of everything they saw, you know, with Nero, the Neros and the persecution on the church and people dying at a record rate over person, they thought this has to be the end of the world as we know it. And of course, they were preaching that Jesus was coming back. And that's without, listen, that, Rome had, t- there was no Israel back then. You know, Rome had taken that over. They were just existing in the land. And now we see what? Prophecy being fulfilled. We see the ten nations that are lining up to come against Israel for the, the, the battle of Armageddon. We see the, the, the nation of Israel being rebirthed in 1948. We see all these different prophecies being fulfilled before our eyes. And Paul thought then he was coming back, not the church, today have that same expectation that he's coming back and he's coming back soon. They thought it was coming because of the tribulation, because of the persecution. But what Revelation teaches us that he is coming back, not, not because of persecution, but because of trip, but because of judgment, God's coming back. Jesus is coming back to judge the world, and we can't be here when He comes back, because He cannot judge the righteous with the unrighteous. The church has to be gone, but it doesn't mean that we won't have to endure some hardships, persecution. Attacks from our enemy, Satan. So, my my gut, and I'm not a big prophecy guy. I wish I was more of one, but I think the church is going to endure a lot more hardships, especially in America, before the second coming, before the rapture of the church. So, we need to not forsake the assembly as the, we see the day approaching. If churches should be packed... They should be packed more now than ever because the day is coming when we might not be able to um, assemble together. Yeah? So, he says, don't forsake it, but exhort one another. So that's you and I. We need to exhort people um, to get out, get out in fellowship. Verse 20, or 26 to 29. I want to read through it and then... I'm going to explain it to you. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. Well, let me ask you a question. Anybody here? You look at me for a second. You ever, have you ever sinned willfully? And uh, I'll raise my hand with it, would you? If you've ever sinned willfully, yeah, every one of us. Now read the rest of the chapter. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Sorry, guys. Now everybody's head popped up. I don't even have to ask you to give me your eyes, you know. So right away, being a student of the word, you know there's more into it than just that we sin willfully. There's more. There's something more into it. Let's keep reading. 
For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for judgment, fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses, Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be, shall he be thought worthy who hath trotted under the foot the Son of Man and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. All right. The most important thing to know with this passage of Scripture is verse 26, the, the fourth word, sin. For if we sin willfully, what sin is he referring to? Now, if, if he said, if we've ever committed adultery, there remaineth no more sacrifice. If we ever cheated, there, remi- there remaineth no more sacrifice. If we've ever lied... There remaineth no. That would be easy to understand, and then we could say we'll do our best not to ever cheat, lie, commit adultery, you know, and do a lot. But that's not what he's referring talking about. Context, content. What was the sin of those people he was addressing to? They were going back into what? Judaism, going back into thinking that they can atone for their own sin. All they have to do is bring an animal to the high priest. Why would they gravitate gravitate back to that? Because, wow, I can see what's happening. I can smell what's happening, the incense. Uh, I can touch what's happening. I can bring it to the, you know, I'm fully involved with what's happening. I have a handle on this. So I'm sorry, Paul, or whoever wrote this book. There's no way I'm going back into this legalistic system and I am going to have a part of this. And And what he's saying here is, for if we do that willfully... Then there remaineth, then, and, and for we have, after we receive the knowledge, there remaineth no more sacrifice. What sacrifice is he referring to is the cross. The cross. Now, I'll tell you something, gang. Once somebody has been truly born again, been born again, and truly saved, they've had experience with the Holy Spirit of God. No, they won't be sinless and they won't be perfect, but there's no turning away from that. And I, I've said this a long time, man, and I will, and I'll take it to, with, to, with me to the grave. You know, there's a lot of things I doubt. You know, there's a lot of doubt in my life, even still now. But the one thing I could never doubt is my salvation. Because that's something that literally happened to me. I don't want to tell you that it was totally physical. But when, when I got saved, my life changed on a dime. When I got saved, I went from being very fearful of things, of having some kind of peace that surpasses human understanding. When I got saved, you know, all that hopelessness that was in my that I experienced, I became I became full of hope. The lack of love, I became full of love. And I'd never read a Bible. I'd never stepped into a church as a member. I didn't know anything about Christianity. But something happened September 24th, 1.45 in the morning when God delivered me from demon possession and filled me with His Holy Spirit. You could not take that from me ever. I can doubt a lot of things. I can't doubt that. And everything I've been through over the years, you know, dealing with cancer with a granddaughter, losing a house, doing all that, I never once doubted His love toward me. There was a lot of doubts on other things. You know, how am I going to make it? Will my granddaughter ever live? Will my kids come back serving the Lord? I've got a lot of those kind of doubts. But the one thing you can't take away from a born-again believer is his salvation ever. That's what I mean. You know, once you're saved, you are always saved. Nobody can take that from you. Romans chapter 8. You get Read that from time to time to remind you. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing. If that's not good news, then nothing is. You know, there's a lot of things we can doubt, but not that. If we go back and think in religion can save me, 
And if we even promote that kind of stuff, we should be ashamed of ourselves. We lift up Jesus because if Jesus is lifted up, right, all men will be drawn to him. Not a church. And not even a movement. Sometimes I'm hesitant to bring up the Jesus people movement, but it just... I want a new, I want new wine, a new wineskin, a new fresh move of the Holy Spirit over this place. Amen? If we willfully do it, willfully, then that's when you know both sides of the coin and you deliberately just choose one side. There's a lot of people who get saved within denominationalism. They're saved. They're still in that church, but they're not getting fed. And God begins to bring them out slowly sometimes. But they do come out. The point he made here but with certain fearful looking for judgment, fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversary. He uses Moses as a, an example here. He says, for, for that despised Moses' or law died. In other words, those who, who um, disobeyed the Mosaic law, they died without mercy under two or three witnesses. They were usually stoned. So if you were in Moses' camp and you sinned willfully, you, you chose something outside of God's law, and there was two or three witnesses that saw you, they would bring it to Moses, and then Moses would say what the penalty, and usually the penalty was death. But how much sore is the punishment? Uh, yes, yeah, it's more than just being stoned and enduring death, the grave, and then going to Abraham's bosom. This punishment that he's talking about is judgment. That individual will be judged. See how it can't mean if we sin willfully, if we've ever committed adultery willfully, if we ever smoked dope willfully. It can't mean that. Because a man is the only thing that man is going to be judged for is what did he do with Jesus Christ? That is the only question, by the way, in heaven. At the great judgment white judgment seat of Christ. It isn't, okay, now why did you cheat on your wife? Or why did you cheat on your husband? Or why didn't you, you know, why were you not? None of that. What did you do with the gift I gave you? Here's where you rejected it. You rejected it. You rejected it. And you kept turning it down, turning it down. What did you do with my son? And you know, we'll be studying this on Sunday. Well, maybe not Sunday. But when Pat, when Jesus dealt with this idea. You know, well, you know, there are many are going to come uh, at the, this day saying, well, wait a minute. Haven't we done this in your name? And haven't we done that in your name? And if you notice, it's all miraculous things. And then we do all these things, you know, and even in your name, we cast out some demons. And you know, the interesting thing about that verse when Jesus said, but what's going to be said to them is I never knew you be gone from me. You worker of iniquity, the healing, the deliverance. Working, worker, workings of iniquity? He says, the reason is for I never knew you, Gnoskos. I've never had an experience with you. Oh, you tasted. You smelled it. Very religious looking. But we never had a personal relationship with each other. And if I could ever encourage, if I ever encourage you to do anything, and that is to cultivate that relationship you have with Jesus. Do not grow stagnant. Cultivate it. How do I do that? In the word, in prayer, in fellowship. People stirring up one another into love and good works. Iron sharpening iron, man. That's just making us sharper and more keener to the things of God. There is a greater punishment. And that greater punishment is be gone from me, you worker of iniquity. And he includes religious people. Not just religious people. The pagan, the idolater, the ones who worship different pagan, the pagan gods. What's it mean who's trotted underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant, the, the new order? Remember, a couple of weeks ago we were studying about that new covenant, the new order, wherewith he was sanctified, set apart as a holy, th or, uh, the person did as an unholy thing, and has done despite unto the Spirit of grace. You know what that literally means? You have treated 
the sacrifice as something as common or as unholy. It's just another thing in your life. It's just another common thing. You know, I remember my grandparents, the common thing to do was you went to church and you did the communion and then you came home and you never talked about God again. It was just a common thing. Listen, we're not common people. (laughs) The Bible calls us peculiar people. We're redeemed people. We're people, the New Testament church was called the people of the way because they would proclaim there's only one way. So the heathens would say, oh, they're the people of the way. That's where we get this one way symbol all the time. One way, there's only one way. But they treat it. What does it mean, you know, and has despite unto the spirit of his grace, the spirit of his grace. Zacharias chapter 12, verse 10, if you just put that in your notes, look it up where it says that, you know, that I will pour out unto them a spirit of grace and supplication in Zacharias, that there was coming a day for these people. And this was the day for them. You know, where I will write the law in their hearts and, you know, and I, I will put my spirit in them, you know, and that's, that's again. And people were going, you don't need the spirit of his grace. To me, it's an insult to God and to, 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 to the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 30, for, for we know that. Or we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth to me. I'll, I will recompense, saith the Lord again. The Lord said, uh, Shall judge his people. And then he, again, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Do you ever think that that's what he's going to say to the church? It's a fearful thing to fall into my hands? No, that's not what he's going to say. In fact, what does he say to the the husband there in Ephesians? Hey, husband, I want you to love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He gave himself. He loved it so much that he would give. So husband, I want you to love your wives just like that. So why would he ever say to the church, man, it's a fearful thing that the church falls into into my hand. He won't do that. You know what hand holds us up? Is the hand that was pierced for our sins. Is the hand that no man can snatch you from. It is that hand that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And if you look at that menu there, you know, height, depths, tribulation, and it goes on and on. Nothing can snatch us away. But for the world, the world, even if they claim to know him, don't know him, Gnoskis, but they claim to know him, it is a fearful thing to fall into his hands. Jonathan Edwards preached that wonderful servant called Sinners in the hands of the living God. If you ever look up Jonathan Edwards, he's this real skinny, squirrely little guy, you know, and he came up, probably was down here, and he, re- he read that whole sermon, just, it read it. it. He wrote that sermon, never looked at the congregation once, read that sermon. You can still go online and read the sermon. Sinners in the hands of a living God. And it, the whole place started to weep, and the whole place fell on their knees. It was a mass conversion right there, without the altar call, before he was done his message. I think that's what the world has to see, to hear, you know, not just all this. God loves you so much, but if you reject him, there is an eternal judgment you'll have to face. And again, the, the movement of positive confession and self-esteem and all that, that's a, that, that's a danger, a danger to the church. And we should not just, we shouldn't try to make, oh, we shouldn't try to make people just feel good about themselves. Paul never felt good about himself, never. Now, Paul would call him the chief, himself the chief of sinners. He would say that what dwells in me dwells no good thing. You know, if he did anything, he, he honored, respected, had the fear of God, understood grace on this side of heaven, but he also understood the fear of God. It's a fearful thing. And that's, how, and that's how we should view even sin that we wrestle with time from time to time to honor and respect the Lord, the Holy Spirit of God and get that sin before the cross, amen? And just ask him to cleanse you and to wash you. He says in uh, verse 32, 
or verse yeah, 32, but call to remembrance the former days. Remember when that we started out. He says, in which after you were illuminated when you received the truth, you endured great fights of affliction, partly while uh, ye were made a gazing stock, both by uh, reproaches and affliction, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. And what he's saying is he was looking again at a group of people and saying, just remember that time when you when when it was illuminated to you when the lights came on when you realize for me i read a crazy little chick track and everyone gets saved differently it was to me i had a crazy jesus freak brother that was driving me totally insane with his music and you know singing on the side of his bed god's not dead he's still alive and i'm going man brother you're going to die in a minute and i remember holding you know and he would always put these tracks where i could find them you know, and I would just kind of throw them away or throw them on the floor. And then one day I was going through a real bad night and I just saw this track laying there and it just stood out and I started thumbing through it. The track was called This Was Your Life. And, um, and I, you know, I had a hard time reading it. I have to confess to you, I wasn't, my, the reading level wasn't very. But anyway, but I could make out what was being said through this track. And then I saw this guy just kneeling down. And I just knew that I had to kneel before God. You know. And, uh, and, every, and, and, and again, every now and then I like to go back and remember that. I like to go back and remember the love he put in my heart for people. I had so much love for people that were lost, man. My, my ministry all night was to drive around in my 1954 pickup truck, Flathead V8. And I would ride around all night and look for th- guys who were thumbing. And back when I was a kid, everybody thumbed it everywhere. It wasn't the dangers you people experience today. But I'd pull, I'd pull over and get them in my truck. I had an 8-track in there, man, and I'd put love song in that baby. And they were in church as soon as they sat in my truck. And I thought, I love this guy. I don't want him to go to hell. I love this guy. I don't want him to go to hell. You know. And I, I recall that time. I recall sometimes just so hungry for the Bible, teaching myself to read, looking at pictures in the family Bible because I wanted to know more about Jesus. I was closer to the Lord back then when, than I, when I was in seminary. When it was just me, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, just growing and walking and singing. I, used, I had this girlfriend in Pennsville, and I would see if I could talk to the Lord without stopping from Pennsville all the way to Woodbury. And just talk away to him like he was sitting in the seat next to me. I like to reflect back to that. I like to reflect sometimes back to the coffee house where it says just make a joyful noise. We were trying to learn to play guitars and bang on bongos, man, and sing kumbaya like we were the Mormon choir or something, man. I love remembering about those days. I don't like going BC days. But I love thinking about how God's love was extended to someone like me. That's not bad, is it? You should think about that. When God first touched your life, when God ever spoke to you. And and, and this happened while they, were, while they were trying to help other people at the same time. He said, look, for you had compassion of me and my bonds, verse 34, you took, took joyfully the spoils of your goods, knowing in yourselves that, that you have a, a, in heaven a better and, a, and an endurance substance. And again, going back to what Jesus taught, you know, where, wherever you place your treasures, your heart's going to be there, you know. And if, you're, if your heart is helping people, man, there's going to be a reward for that. And if, you, if your heart, man, is to come, come along somebody that's struggling, that's where your treasure, but if your treasures are here, your heart's going to be here. If it's trying to make fame, that's where your treasures are going to be. And there's not going to be the substance, the enduring substance so what's he say in verse 35? Cast not away. I mean, cast not away. Literally, it means don't throw it off. Therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Now, he's not talking to those for if we sin willfully, he's talking to another group of people. He's asking them again. 
you know, to remember, to reflect back. Don't, don't follow them. He says, cast it, cast not away, therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. What promise? That's eternal life. You know, the reason we do all this and we know wherever our, our hearts is, is where we had put our treasures and we're, do, we're stirring one another. We know that there's a reward for us when we get to, get to heaven. He's just asking us to be patient. For yet in a little while, he that shall come will come. He will not tarry. And now he's going to hammer this whole thing about faith. He's going to say the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith and not works. See how this just flows out? Don't do it. Don't make that choice. Don't sin willfully. Don't go back into religion. Stay the course. Remember how God saved you. Stay the course. The just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, going back, sinning willfully, my, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we, here it is, we, who's he addressing? We are not, not of them who draw back into perdition, meaning something that's waste or something that can damn you. He says, but of them that believe in the saving of the soul, and the saving of the soul can only come through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection, the gospel, which is the power and the salvation. You see how that just flows out so easily when you remember why this author is writing this book and to encourage. You know what keeps people walking strong with the Lord, by the way? Not legalism, but the message of grace. Not legalism. Don't put a trip on them. Oh, you, you know, you, if you're willfully sinning, you know, just keep showing them grace. Showing them grace. And they'll grow in the knowledge of grace. We started with grace. We should end with grace. We started with faith. We end in faith. What? And again, I'm not going to preach on that. What is grace? You guys know what grace is. Grace is just that beautiful gift. The beautiful gift. A gift that God has given to us. Salvation. It's a gift. It's a gift that's been extended out by his hand for us to receive. Uh, an old professor of mine kind of gave us this little quirky um, illustration of grace. And he, one time we were all sitting in his class. He was a little late. His name was Hobart Grazier, just a great man. I can't wait to meet him in heaven again. But he comes in and he's got this little box. And it's a, it, this box has, box has been wrapped in this paper and the bow. You could tell somebody very artistic did this whole thing together and he put it on the he put it on his desk and he was teaching he was taking us through the book of romans and he got to that place for by grace are you saved not if galatians but um nothing can separate you but he, he 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 looks at this gift he goes you know what what would you think if i told you that this gift was for you and that this gift cost me everything that i had in my bank account 401 anything in my i just spent everything to put a gift in that box for you. What would you do? And in my mind, it's saying, I, I wouldn't take it. Are you kidding me? I, why would he want to give me that? You know, and who, who wouldn't think that? Who, who, anyone with the right mind going, oh, me? <laughs> you know, we're all sitting there stunned. And he goes, come on. Who, at least one of you, would you take this gift from me? And we, we had to tell him, no, we wouldn't take it. He says, this is grace. And if you don't take it, you're going to hell. And I would run up now. I would run up now. That's grace. Didn't cost me a thing. It, it cost Hobart everything he had. But it was for me. And he goes, he was this little old guy with a goatee. He says, now listen, listen. You can receive the gift like the Hebrews, but you have to open it up. See, that's the picture. They received it, but they never opened it up for the gift of salvation. That's our Lord. That's what grace is. I pray that you've all received it. 
And when we do, we live by faith. And if anyone draws back, we're not of them, he says. We're not going to draw back to those things that are wasteful or damnable. It is 20 after, and we come into this glorious hall of faith. Hall of Faith, uh, chapters 11 through 12. He's going to deal with faith, hope, and love. Of course, the greatest of these is love. And this is another reason why a lot of people think that yeah, Paul wrote this. He wrote 1 Corinthians 13, so maybe he wrote this. I don't know. But I don't think I'm going to because uh, there's so much in this, and I wouldn't do it justice. And I am so sorry, but I, I, I thought I was going to be able to do that. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Um, Sean, if you'll make your way out here. We'll pick it up there, but... uh, Faith. You see, guys, keeping it again in its context, faith is the substance of things we hope for. It's not what we see. For the wine group, but we brothers, we haven't gone that way. We haven't bought into the things that are wasteful and damnable. We haven't done that. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. When we read the Bible, we start to believe in things that we have not yet seen. This other group, the group who is willing, willfully going back into it. They're going back to what? Things that they can see. Things that they can smell, the incense, things that they hear, the songs, things that they, you know, they can feel. They want, they need something tangible in order to have faith. But see, our faith isn't predicated upon our feelings. Our faith is predicated upon what the word of God has said. And faith is the substance of these things that I hope for. What do I hope for? I hope for the things that God said he has for me. I do not have faith in faith. I have faith in him. And, and you say, well, what's the big difference? Well, a lot of messages that we hear today are just have faith in faith. You just have to believe hard enough. And if you quote it enough and if you make, you make it real enough. But that's not what he said. No, my faith is in things I can't see. My, my faith is in, not in my faith. My faith is in him, that he is who he says he is. My faith is in the one who said, I am all you need. Moses said, hey, who do I say sent me? Got a name? Yeah, I am. I could see Moses now. I am? Yeah, I am that I am. How's that a name? Literally, the I am means that I am what you need me to be. Faith in me, not in things. Not in what you see, not in what you smell, not in religion, but faith in me. Make sense, church? Let's stand together.